Good day everyone. It's time for Left After Breakfast here on 3CR, your only radio left. Susanna here with you and I'll be joined a little later by some more of my team. We are getting close to election time. We will be hearing more about the coming elections from the BL, from the bush. But you remember, listener, and remember to tell everyone about the perfidy and horrors that this particular federal government has put us through. And let's hope, oh, let's hope we don't have to put up with any more of it. And I don't have to remind you that in a couple of days we will see Anzac Day. This is the anniversary of the day that Australian and New Zealand soldiers landed on Gallipoli in 1915. And I'd like to start off the show this morning with a song, not about Gallipoli, but about all the pointless deaths that came about because of the Great Trade War. Sit here down by your graveside and rest for a while neath the warm summer sun. I've been walking all day and I'm nearly done. I can see by your gravestone you were only nineteen when you joined the great fallen in nineteen sixteen. Well, I hope you died well, and I hope you died clean. Or young Willie McBride, was it slow and obscene? Did they beat the drums slowly? Did they play the fife lonely? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? And did the band play the last poem? and chorus Did the pipes play the flowers of the forest Did you leave there a wife or a sweetheart behind In some faithful heart is your memory enshrined Although In that faithful heart Are you forever 19? Or are you a stranger Without even a name Enclosed and forever Behind a glass pane In an old photograph Torn, battered and stained Did the band play the last post 
Well, the sun now it shines on the green fields of France. There's a warm summer breeze that makes the red poppies dance. And see how the sun shines from under the clouds. There's no gas, no barbed wire. There's no guns firing now. But here in the graveyard, it's still no man's land. The countless white crosses stand mute in the sand. To man's blind indifference to his fellow man. To a whole generation. I can't help wonder why Do those that lie here know why did they die? And did they believe when they answered the call? Did they really believe that this war could end wars? Well, the sorrow, the suffering, the glory, the pain That's such a sad song. It always gets to me. And yes, they all died in vain. No, it wasn't the war to end all wars. It was a war about trade, to establish frontiers for trade. And it happened again and again and again. And no, I don't even have a photograph in an old frame of my Nana's little brother. I do, however, have the strap that he wore around his neck to hold his saxophone. He took his saxophone to war with him. Imagine that. 
Poor boy. He died at Gallipoli, like so many other Australian boys and New Zealand boys, of course. I know so many people my age who lost some of their family at Gallipoli. For what? You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. I will return to the subject of war, keeping in mind that Anzac Day is very close. But right now we're going to hear about another tragedy, a tragedy that could have been avoided and was subsequently covered up. From Glenn, the resident historian. Uh, Good morning, you're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. Well, hello there, Glenn. How are you? Not bad, my dear yourself. I'm going well, I'm going well. Go well, go show. Wasn't it the slogan back in the old days? Oh, I don't remember television commercials, though I do remember when we got television. I don't recall those, but I do recall commercials. Anyway, I'm going to speak today about soccer. Not a game I've followed, but I'm just a... It was a series that Mariana watched on the BBC, a very interesting series about soccer and a, a tragedy, disaster, and it's based on a true story. So, I'm sorry, you were going to, you're going to talk about soccer? Well, it's soccer-related. It goes back to, God, it is history, 1989, up in Sheffield, England. There was the, ah, the Hillsborough disaster. The where, disaster, yes, terrible, terrible tragedy. I remember so clearly it reading about it in the papers here. There were images on the news and I turned off the television. Well, I recall seeing it on TV. As I said, I don't follow soccer. There was 97 soccer fans killed at this stadium and it was April 1989. What happened was there was a big crowd on the ground and there was a bit of a confusion how many can get in. And the police officer in, officer in charge, Superintendent David Duckenfield, opened an extra gate and the terraces were crowded. 97 people died. They were crushed, weren't they? They were crushed because the police had opened an extra gate without authorising the... Pro- actually explaining the process. The police had to cover it back quickly and the officer, Duckenfield, in charge, he was helped by a very composite media. And guess who owned the print media in that part of the world? Well, is there a prize for guessing who owned the media in that part of the world? Oh, and the prize is just to share if everyone else your knowledge. So please tell me who you think had the media in that part of the world. Well, it was Murdoch, of course. How did you guess Rupert Murdoch? His papers came out very quickly in support of the police. They blamed the fans. Liverpool thugs have a unit on police officers. They picked the pockets of a dead and they caused this crush. And 97 were killed not by police and or by incompetence. They were killed by the fans. And uh, this is the story they brought out. Yes. Um, well, of course, Liverpool fans have, I suppose, they still have a reputation. A most undeserved reputation, but one that people use here for Collingwood. The adage played the most renowned era for soccer hooliganism and there was lots of bad behaviour. Crush at soccer, who's at fault? The police the, blame the fans. So throughout the 90s, end of 2000, there was further inquiries held. There was legal issues. The families of those who died had a support group and they had a prosecution. They blamed David Duckenfield and his 2IC, Richard Murray. And they were charged with manslaughter. Mm. But both were acquitted of manslaughter. Well, there was a... Terrible mistake, obviously, that the police, crowd control, whoever had made by allowing a build-up of people to go into a particular area and opening another gate to letting more go in without checking what was happening, what was not realising that people were jammed in. And, of course, people kept going in and going in as one would. 
Hmm, the, the police didn't oversee the process of boats coming in, and once they really didn't oversee the process of where they were going. It was a fan's fault. And in 2010, there was another panel held, the third panel, to got some more evidence. I'm what sorry, happened. what was that? There was a panel here in 2010 established. A the, panel? The, the, a Hillsborough independent panel. You know, with Hillsborough. judges and MPs, and they reviewed the evidence, and for the third time, like, okay, there's been a mistake made, but no one's responsible. Yeah, the police made some errors, and the police should be charged. Well, it's been a long time, we'll, we'll move on. And again, in 2012, there was a high court hearing, which overturned the original verdicts. In 2014, another inquest was held. Trapped in the 2000s onwards. Inquest after inquest was held. 25 years later, there's yep. inquest, these panels yep. are still investigating. And David Duckenfield, the person in charge, agreed it was his fault. He caused death while not overseeing the gates. He froze and didn't you know, oversee the process. So 25 years down the track, he's saying it was my fault. But. But, but he has realised and admitted now it's his fault. Well, I mean, we can all make mistakes. This was a dreadful mistake which resulted in the death of how many? 97 eventually. 97 eventually. 95 on the day, one died a bit later, one died a few years later. So it's a terrible, terrible mistake and it can People do make mistakes. Mm. But it took him 25 years to say, I made a mistake. Yeah, so He's he, retired by now, of course. Yes, yeah, so he was charged with manslaughter. But, but under the law... But. There was loopholes, and they could actually charge him for all the deaths. There was ways of means, like, you know, because the two had died after the event, manslaughter doesn't cover those two. He was still charged as a father of high-ranked police officers and those in charge of the situation. But, but, but. the charge would drop because evidence couldn't be found. We've lost the evidence. I've had lost it now this. after 25 years. That's right. And Duckenfield eventually denies he was responsible. Well, yes, I, I made the mistakes. It was my fault. Yeah, I did these things, but... I'm not responsible, so please don't judge manslaughter. Does that sound to you as though he's been chatting with the lawyers before Quite the possibly. court and saying, look, easy thing to do here, mate, is uh, if you say, yeah, it was my fault and I'll stick my hand up and I'll say I'm sorry and that's it and no one can hit you with anything because we've lost all the evidence now. Well, in 2019, 30s after the tragedy, Duck and Phil found not guilty of negligence. A number of held police, uh, Superintendent Donald Denton, Chief Inspector Alan Foster, uh, Peter Metcalf, were um, they were tried for altering police statements, but they'd uh, they'd perverted the course of justice. And in 2021, those charges were dismissed. So the black in charge of the police, the others who altered the evidence, were all acquitted of the charges. So 30 years later, 97 people died at soccer, and the police had made serious errors, and no one. And I hope no one's been found guilty. So, look, do yourself a favour. It's a wonderful BBC series with Anne. So you're saying it's a B- there's a BBC show about it? Mm, it came out in February. It's a four-part series called Anne. Called Anne. Like the the name of a woman, Anne. She's the mum of the victims. And oh. she pursues the case. And it's based on a true story. Uh, it had a happy ending. But she fights hard, as do others, to finally overturn the hearings. And all the way with obstacles... Police won't testify. We can, but we can't say it publicly. No, we changed my I've forgotten there. No, I can't do it. And it's just been, there's all these barriers put in her way. Her son was 15 when he was killed. 15. And he was actually alive when the ambulance arrived. And they told him for years he, he was dead. He wasn't dead. They could have saved him. And that's what I'm saying. The footage came out, the original hearing said everyone's there by 3 15 pm. And the footage came out, ambulance is coming. People went carrying stretch after 3 15 pm. And they wouldn't accept this. And finally, yeah, they were still alive, but they died anyway. So 
and it's a wonderful series to watch, not a pleasant series, but it just shows to show the power of those in charge and how they cover their mistakes and errors at the expense of our lives. So do yourselves a favour. If you can find the BBC show called Anne, I highly recommend watching it. Where did you watch it, Glenn? On BBC TV at home. We have um, that uh, we have pay TV. But it's on BBC iView. Uh, so it's on ABC iView as well. So it's on the ABC. We, we saw it on BBC. But I think ABC is on iView too. It's around. It's available. But it's, it's a wonderful series. And it's, just, it's a true story. I don't have a very happy story. But it just shows the obstacles, the powers and charge of putting our way when we fight for justice. And um, Yes, you know. I, well, I might watch it. I'm a bit... Those things really tear me up and I have difficulty. And as mm. a mother who's lost a son... I find it difficult to watch the story of a woman who's lost a son. You know, it's just... It's but, a, it's a, but it's always saying it's the struggles and the obstacles they had to overcome and the result was nothing. It's a harrowing... It's not pleasant. Mm. We didn't enjoy it, Marianne and myself. It just goes to show how hard life can be if you don't have money and power. So that's my, um, that's my segment for this little... There's section. one thing, though, I do remember about that I avoided hearing much about it at the time... Mm. This was so, well, horrific. Still mm. is now. Is that I hear that in Sheffield, no one buys the Murdoch paper. How good is that? Yeah, how good is that? Well, the editor came out 22 years later and retracted a comment he made. As I said, he blamed the fans and he said at 22 years later, I was wrong. Now, have you seen a Murdoch editor in Australia do the same, say he was wrong? Don't hold your breath. It'd be interesting, though, wouldn't to find a place that doesn't had the Murdoch press like New Zealand. Yes, and they're a lot more advanced than we are. Anyway, that's my two bobs web, so do yourselves a favour, listeners, and watch Ann. And until I return soon on Susan's show, I will say, chocula. Chocula. Come, you masters of war. Here that build the big guns. Here that build the death planes Here that build all the bombs Here that hide behind walls Here that hide behind discs I just don't want you to know I can see through your masks An interesting fact, listener. The Australian Electoral Commission says that of the last two weeks, more than 700,000 applications have been received for electoral enrolment. So now, 96% of eligible Australians are enrolled to vote. The BL from the bush has some points to remember when it comes to voting. Hey, comrade. Hey, listener. It's the BL from the bush calling in. Hoping these are all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and all geared up and ready to get rid of this uh, this Mr Morrison and his evil, vindictive, cruel, heartless, see-a-struggling-head coalition government. Another four years of this mob, uh, listener, will be devastating. Devastating to the ones that really need help from the government, the ones that people have paid, paid their life in taxes to make sure that that they're getting looked after. Well, this mob just do not seem to want to know anything about that. Their relentless pursuit on of people that, that are struggling, people in receipt of social security entitlements, people like on the NDIS, Medicare, 
and the rest, the rest of the the stuff that's there for the general population to use that they've paid for, they are making it harder and harder, and they will continue to do so. So, again, we ask you, listener, to get out there and talk up as much as you can the evil doings of this corrupt, lying government. I'd just like to talk to you on a, on a few issues, just to remind you of what, what a dud this bloke is as a leader and, and, and the government that he that he supposedly leads. Well, we, we just go for, we just start off on the leadership issue, like just, just look at his track record, you know, with when, when there's disasters before the country, which we've had quite a few over the last couple of years, like the fires, the floods, and then, then the COVID. Well, the fires, look at that, look what happened there. He just took off, buggered off overseas. Sipping on a bit of piss over there in some in Hawaiian Islands or wherever he was, and uh, left it up to the general public to uh, look after themselves. And come the floods, same thing. Sat back there, watched the place went underwater. The good-hearted uh, folk out there doing their best, looking after their mates, their comrades out there, uh, doing themselves without any help from him. Then he decides, oh yeah, well, I better do something. Things aren't looking too good there. I better. Better get on me bike and do something, you know. Again, far too 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 little, too late. And then, of course, there was the COVID stroll out. What a disaster! What an embarrassment that was. Did not have a clue what to do. Ignored ignored warnings from all around the world, you know. And in in all honesty, listener, the only thing that got us through that COVID was was it wasn't the federal help. It was the help from. And the leadership wasn't leadership from the federal government, it was leadership from state premiers. Morrison was absolutely, and his government was absolutely useless, inept. Then we can go to, as I said before, people that are in receipt of social security entitlements. And that's the word, uh, listener, entitlements. And that's what they are. Everyone that pays taxes here in this country and have paid taxes are entitled to this money that's there. It's not their bloody money, it's the people that need it. And they are the people in receipt of uh, Centrelink payments, as in the NDIS. And what do they do? They just take funding away and they make it harder and harder and harder for people to get that money that is theirs and, and it's in these schemes that have been set up to help them. That's all they can do. Half their time is spent on finding ways to withdraw that money or make it harder to obtain it. You know these, you know the the semi privatisation of Centrelink, and, and also the, that's what they're trying to do with the NDIS, putting it into the hand, the NDIS into the hands of these people that have got no idea what it's like to be disabled, and just make it harder and harder and harder for these for for people to access their payments or their their packages, and that's a promise of things to come. Now, that you know that's this is what they you give them another four years and they, and then it will be just devastating for those folk. Then you've got the uh, Morrison is with you know, trust and, and his lies. Like this place, you can't trust him to do a thing. He just lies and lies and lies and has been caught out that many times that you know it doesn't matter. You know he's straight out of out of that bloke in America with, with the red hair or the tingy hair, straight out of his playbook. Just lie, 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 deny everything, and that's all he does. And as far as looking after people, just have a look at the look look at the carry on that went up there in the house of debauchery. Look at look at what was going on there under his watch. In you know, that's a workplace, uh, listener. That is a workplace, one of the most dangerous places in the country to work. As it come out to, as it's as it's been proven, 
And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, well, a fair bit of media coverage and people speaking out about what happened to them and and reportedly um, alleged uh, the rapes and whatever that happened up there and just dragged on and dragged on and did nothing, took people through the courts, stumbling blocks everywhere, where this issue should have been fixed up very, very quickly. No, no, didn't do that. Any other workplace in the in the country would have been it would have been a royal commission five minutes into it. It just goes to show you what what contempt he has for people. And uh, again, another four years of this you can only imagine. You know, and that and that and that runs straight into the ICAC. Uh, why why there's no federal federal ICAC? Uh, he's he's lied again on that. He doesn't want anything to do with it because it will expose every one of them in the joint. You know, pretty obvious that why they're not having them. And then there's the, uh, this is my only take on thing, it's, it's, it's your home, uh, listener, your donga. Now, I'm reckoning for the last few years I've had this bubbling away on the back burner that because of these ridiculous house prices that, that are out there at the moment, you know, a two-bedroom weatherboard donga fetching a million dollars, it's just, it's just beyond belief, but it is. So this might get another four years, and what's going to happen down the track is I'll say, well, oh, look at everyone, they're all running around, they've all got million-dollar homes. So when it comes for them comes for the time for them to put their hand out for the hard-earned uh, to collect a pension. I reckon that they'll be putting the home in the assets, part of the assets, because everyone's got this multi-million dollar home they're sitting in. And then there's, of course, there's the pensions, there's, there's the debit card, cashless debit card. You know, that's sitting in there, that's legislated, that's, that's there ready to be used, even though they're saying that they'll never use it. Well, simple question is here, uh, listener. If they never want to use it, what's it doing sitting there? Get rid of the bloody thing. Take it out of the uh, statutes. Get rid of the bloody thing. And, of course, there's a complete and and still, to this day, utter denial about uh, climate change. Just do not want to talk about it. Nothing about it in the the budget. Nothing about it anywhere. Just don't want to talk about it. No, it doesn't exist. It's not happening. Complete denial of it. And I suppose the other thing, listener, that probably disgusts me more than anything is the utter disdain. Morrison wasn't the leader of the government, but he was in it at the time, is when the Uluru statement from the heart was tabled and just picked up and thrown in the bin. He was there, he was a minister, he was part of it. Just to completely disown that and, and treat it the way they did and the people that, that put that together is, is, is just abhorrent. And uh, again, uh, listener, we need we need a federal ICAC. So that's just a few things to chew over there, uh, listener. If you want to, when, when you're talking to people or getting on your bike about what this mob have, haven't done, well, that's just a few things that, that they haven't done. And as I keep saying, that they are cruel, they're vindictive. They're heartless, and, and anyone that's doing it, they'll just put the boot in harder and harder. So I'll bugger off, listener. Just a couple of things quickly, if I can. Um, congratulations to Monica Hart. She, uh, she now finds herself as a, as a counsellor. Well done, comrade. And good to hear you back, bagman. Can't keep a good man down. Good to hear you back. Keep on punching, comrade. And uh, just a quick one, a good old metal workers uh, comrade has uh, passed away, bloke by the name of Terry Roach. Great activist, great unionist, veiled comrade. Go out in the same old way, dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast. 3CR Good morning, bag man. How are you? Oh, good morning, Susan. You find me in fine fettle this morning. I'm as uh, unbiased as the Collingwood cheer squad. 
now as usual and ready to go. Hey, I thought we'd start at the top today. We'd start with Scott Morrison. Now, Mr. Morrison is a Prime Minister of this country and he deserves all the respect that we can give him because of his title and because of his position. But uh, Scott Morrison came out this week and said that the cashless debit card is a scare campaign designed to frighten people. Now, apparently, Albo has said the cashless debit card is something we will get rid of. It will be thrown out the window. Now, we go back to Scott because he said that's all total bullshit that people are going to have this cashless debit card inflicted upon them. Well, it's already been inflicted upon people. And who was it inflicted upon, first of all? It was inflicted upon the First Nations people of this country. So, Mr Morrison, I say to you, you are a heartless bastard and I wouldn't trust you as far as I could kick my grandmother to not introduce a cashless debit card that will affect every person who is on uh, a welfare payment of some kind, which includes the old age pension, people who have worked all their lives, paid taxes, are now going to be told where and when they can spend the miserable amount that the government pays them every fortnight. But they have already inflicted upon the First Nations people of this country. You know, if they will, if they're willing to do that to them, rest assured they are willing to do it to us. You're not inferring that Scott is a liar, are you? Well, no, I don't have to infer that because plenty of other people before me, including the hairy-chested Mr Macron, has also suggested that he's a liar. So is Malcolm Turnbull. So is Berejiklian. A whole range of other people have insisted that he is a liar. Well, I'll take your word for it then. I mean, I know, <laughs> I know for a fact he lies. Well, they say is a lie is only a lie if you believe it. So who knows? Anyway, talking about putting pressure on the government, a man pressured into standing aside from cabinet over claims he'd physically assaulted his mistress and is still technically a member of cabinet, according to the uh, PM. The woman in question, a former staffer, was paid, get this, Susan, get this, your money, my money, was paid half a million bucks to dissuade her from pursuing further legal action. Now, the cash is coming via the Australian taxpayer, who, as usual, was not consulted. The story was held worthy for a few paragraphs on the inside pages for a day or two, then allowed to to disappear. Now, I'm not assuming that the half a million dollars being paid to this former staffer was not the correct amount of money. I think that if she was physically assaulted, 
she is entitled to every single penny she gets. Penny, it has to come out of our back pocket. Well, that's the point, Susan. That's the point. The fact that it comes from taxpayers' money. Hey, now... Can I just mention something here? Do you remember a bloke called Christian Porter? Oh, yes, I remember him. You know, he's back practising. Back practising what? Law. He's a lawyer. Well, he's not in government, but would you employ him as a lawyer? How'd you be fronting up? Running up in front of the magistrate and your lawyer steps forward, and that's Christian Porter. Christian Porter, you, you would immediately uh, plead guilty. Well, you'd uh, have to. To make a, <laughs> to make, to make a quick, quick exit from the court. <laughs> yeah, you might as well plead guilty because you're going to be found guilty anyway. Yeah. We'll give you, we'll, we'll give you a fair trial and then we'll hang you. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now, Susan, if it wasn't so funny, it wouldn't be funny because the Liberal Party and its leader, Matthew Guy, this week um, went to social media to ask people what were the worst roads in Victoria in order to embarrass the government. Well, Apparently, one guy turned up and said, yeah, I was thrown off my bike uh, going through a place called Anarchy uh, down near Geelong uh, on the worst road possible. But anyway, the footage that Matthew Guy put up was the roads in Ukraine full of potholes and full of bombholes until it was hastily taken down. Now, if if that's not funny... That's not funny. And you don't have to be as smart as a builder's labourer to know that you don't put up false information like that and then still expect that the voters of this state would see you as a serious contender for governorship. Matthew Guy, I remember him. Yes, he would. He was in a band. Was he? No. Yes, he was. The Seekers. You're not going to say he was in The Seekers. No, he wasn't. Oh, good. I think you're getting him mixed up with another guy. Oh, look, I would be like Adam Bant and say, Susan, go and Google it. I think I think it's all coming, come fighting back to me now. I think that guy was named Athel Guy. Might have been a distant relation or a prick relation at some stage, but his name was Athel Guy, not Matthew Guy. Okay, sure. <laughs> I I should have had a I should have had a bet on that. Anyway, I'm glad anyway. you didn't. <laughs> Did you know what I'd name as the worst road if someone asked me? Hmm. What's that road that's called? You know, the the Balti Sweet Highway or something. The one that Bolte built from Parliament House to his back door of his little country shack. Ah, uh, that's right. I suppose we can say whatever we like about uh, Henry Bolte because he's passed on, hasn't he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not before he's caught being pissed. Uh, on that road. Uh, on that road, crashing into a, another car 
and uh, significantly injuring uh, the people. Anyway, we did and mention it. We did mention it a couple of weeks ago that I used to start at 3CR 43 years ago and doing lost dog and lost cat announcements. But now it's become official. Now that the adoption papers have been signed and they were signed this this week, we have to say welcome to the new bastard child of the Pacific family, China. Coalition parents are still recovering. Well, apparently China has signed a deal with the Solomon Islands that they will protect them from this point on. They will look after them. The Solomon Islands government has said, yeah, welcome. And the uh, people, Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison, are not very happy at all. A major blunder. Is China going to protect them from USA or or from us? Well, I should say maybe we welcome China to protect us from the USA. Anyway, we've just got over Easter season. I'm pretty sure that you're as full as a state school on uh, chocolate eggs and whatever that you've been foraging in your garden. But, you know, you've got to say this. Christians say not to practice witchcraft or astrology, but celebrate the resurrection of a dead guy, dead guy, on a Sunday after the first full moon of the equinox. Now, I'm not too sure about that. Do you know what the first full moon of the equinox is? It's the first full moon after the equinox in, in Australia. Uh-huh. In Australia, it's the first full moon after the autumnal equinox. In the northern hemisphere, it's the vernal equinox, you know, the spring equinox. It's easy enough to work out. Do you know when when the equinox is? No, I I have no idea, Susan. The day that they taught north, south, east and west. Uh, I missed school that day. It's the 22nd of March. Is it? All right. Anyway, the first full moon of the equinox... And then they drink wine and bread as his blood and body. Well, can you believe that? And if you believe in fairies down the bottom of the garden, you can believe in that. But you can't practice witchcraft. No, you're not allowed to. No, it's the, it's the old thing about eating meat pie on a Friday and getting run over by the. Number 59 bus on the Saturday. Oh, she that all. Straight, straight to hell. That always <laughs> worried me. That always worried me. But then again, Bagman, I'm safe because I've told you before. I have done the nine first Fridays. Oh. And that means that when I cark it, if I'm in the middle of the bloody nullabore, it doesn't matter. A priest will appear from nowhere. And hear my last confession, so I don't have to go to hell. Oh my God! I've only done the Stations of the Cross. Now, let's not get into being a Catholic hour, and let's uh, declare that we are recovering Catholics. We've been through all the bullshit that was possible to be uh, bullshitted to us, and we are now recovering Catholics. But yeah, I suppose if you get run over by the 
the number 59 bus outside of St Vincent's Hospital, would you take a, a punt? Would you have five bob each way and say, call me a priest? No. Anoint me. You wouldn't? No, I'd say, call me an ambulance. <laughs> You're outside of the... It's a Vincent's Hospital, Susan. I, I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, I can't stop laughing, and I, I have a broken rib at the moment, so it's not very good uh, laughing too much. Well, then I wouldn't call for an ambulance. I, I, I'd just say, drag me inside quickly now. Forget yes. the bloody priest. <laughs> well, if you, if you called an ambulance, unfortunately, uh, you might be sitting on a, a stretcher for up to six or so hours inside casualty department because we are being so overstretched. The health system is being so overstretched. And I must say, I put the disclaimer in, we did this program on a Wednesday afternoon. I know that you do your segment live, but on Wednesday afternoon, only, only 14 people died of COVID and only 11,200 people caught the deadly virus this week. We're still dying from it. That's right. As we've always said, Susan, dead is the new normal. 14 people dying means nothing because our businesses are open we're able to fly in and out of the country. We're allowed to cross borders, but it doesn't matter if our old people are dying. <sighs> and, and our young people. Well, young people are catching the, the virus also, but it's mainly people who are medically compromised, but like you and me, that if we catch the virus, we made to call the priest to give us some extreme unction. Well, as long as the priest is a highly qualified surgeon, that's all right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, As I was saying, our medical system, our hospital system is so overworked at the moment because of the people who are walking the streets as we talk, who are unvaccinated and who are spreading this virus and killing people. So I make the claim that if you're an anti-vaxxer and if you want to ring the the station uh, and make a complaint, please feel free to do so on 94198377. But anti-vaxxers, freedom fighters, the sovereign soldiers or the Cutland Commandos, that I call them, the people that marched on the streets, assaulted coppers, uh, assaulted other workers, especially frontline workers, nurses and doctors, are still roaming the streets, infecting people with this virus. Yes, and that's true, Bagman, that's absolutely true. I didn't believe I would see it in Australia, but I have, and it's... It's pretty bloody damning, isn't it? But listen, well, it is, uh, but listen, yeah. Anne Rustin, who oh, yeah. Scott has promised will be our next Minister for Health if he wins, yep. says that Medicare is not sustainable. 
Yeah. We spend too much money on it. Well, you shouldn't believe those stories that the Labor Party are putting out because they're lies uh, as opposed to the Liberal lies that are being put out. The whole problem about elections being called this early is that each side gets to lie their head off. And, you know, it's an old saying, Susan, no matter who you vote for, a politician gets in. No matter who you vote for, a liar will get in. And people will sit down for the next four or five weeks, uh, weigh up uh, what each leader says, and then they'll vote accordingly. Knowing full well that when the Liberal Party especially, if they do win the election, they're going to come out and say, well, sorry, we did promise this, we did promise that, but we really haven't budgeted for it. And if you want us to do this, maybe we'll have to cut the pension or put people on the uh, on the cashless debit card. Yes. I was going to say, though, to Anne Rustin, that yep. the, their spending on fossil fuel subsidies topped $1.3 billion dollars in the first week of the election campaign. Just one week into the official election campaign, the coalition has already racked up $1.3 billion in fresh subsidies. So that's, oh, ne- well, they, that's nearly yeah. $150 million a day. And But, of course, Medicare is not sustainable. The largest subsidy, which was announced on the long weekend of Easter, they're going to spend $660 million to accelerate fracking in the Beetaloo Basin in Northern Territory. I mean, what a massive spend. Well, it almost takes your breath away, Susan, but... It took away be. yours. Yeah, it did different. <laughs> I was about to laugh, but uh, I tell you what, you know, the, the old gotcha moments... They're waiting there for second-rate journalists to say, gotcha. Now, apparently, Albo in the first week of the campaign, and they're still churning it out, uh, saying that the unemployment rate was 4.5. Well, that was totally wrong. According to the Liberal Party, it's 4%. Well, if they believe that, and if you believe that, and if anybody listening to this program believes that, that's a total lie. It's total bullshit. Because the unemployment rate, when people are counted as unemployed for only working one hour per week, the unemployment rate is at least 8%, and it's 9.8% uh, among young people. So... Any, anyone saying, ah, gotcha, because you said it was 4.5 when it's actually 4 point, according to the Liberal Party, it's actually 8% or amongst young people, 9.8%. According to the OECD, that's the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, it is, mm. eight, it is 8.7%. Well... You've got to take into account that that uh, young bloke uh, went from here to head the OECD 
who was a former Liberal minister, must agree with that. I'm forgetting his name there, but Corman. Matthias Corman. And how much money did we pay for him to get that job? Oh, it was close to a couple of million dollars flying him all all around the world and meeting with uh, leaders and whatever. It's a job for the boys, Susan. Why would you be surprised? Well, I still want a job as ambassador to Rome. Well, that'd be right, wouldn't it? Yeah. That's what Amanda, what's her name? Vanstone. Flintstone. Amanda Blundstone. Blundstone. Amanda Doomstone. Yeah. Uh, hey, talk about politics and talk about liars. And I've got to put the, the same two leaders in the same basket here because Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Labor leader Anthony Albanese have guaranteed, guaranteed, they won't do deals with independence to form government. What absolute rubbish. They will be kicking down the doors. They will be dragging the independence out by the scruff of the neck to make deals with them if uh, it comes to a hung parliament. And my only problem, Susan, at the moment is that if I go to sports bet and have a bet on who's going to win the election, Anthony Albanese is a dollar 44. Not worthwhile having five bob each way on him. But I can guarantee that uh, come the 21st of May, Anthony Albanese will be the next Prime Minister of this country, whether he makes a deal with the independent or not. And that Reminded me of something of a terrible experience that I had this morning, Bagman. I'm still, oh. a, bit, I'm still a bit shaky from it. Really? I heard. Now, I heard it takes the post, a bit to make you shaky. Yeah, I heard the posties, you know, little put 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 on his yes. little bicycle thing, and I went out and I just innocently opened my letterbox, and you know what was in there? Oh. Two great big shiny pamphlet things from One Nation. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not called One Nation. It's called Pauline Hansen's One Nation. Is it One Nation or One Notion? Oh, you've got me on that one. <laughs> but in Clifton Hill, of all places. All places, yeah. Well, believe me, Susan... There are racists in every suburb. And if you go to uh, Josh Frydenberg's sub, uh, suburb this week, I see that the CEO of the Guide Dogs Association of Australia had printed pamphlet supporting Josh Frydenberg. Now, I reckon both Josh Frydenberg and this woman, her first name is Karen, are uh, barking up the wrong tree. Is she allowed to do that? No, she's not. It's against the rules, but uh, it's been done. And come Friday morning, when your program goes to air, I'm sure, and I'll give it, I'll make it a nostril anus prediction that she no longer holds the position of Chief Executive Officer 
of the Guide Dogs Association of Australia. Well, I haven't had anything to do with the Guide Dogs of Australia ever since uh, that particular CEO, not that current, but another one some years back, took all the money <laughs> and flit it off to Tahiti or somewhere, one of those oh. islands in the Pacific. She joined uh, that priest, Father Vince Kiss, who took all his oh money. My. Money from St. Vincent de Paul. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and, you have gone down memory lane there. Yeah. And but, you've... Yeah. <laughs> so I've never put another two-bob corn in that big plastic guide dog that sits on the bar. Well, if, Susan, if you're going to steal money from a charitable organisation... Make it enough money so you can flit away somewhere like Tahiti with a ex-priest, Father Kiss. Well, he's an ex-priest it... now. Oh well, I think he, I think he might have passed on soon. Oh well, he's definitely an ex-priest then. <laughs> That's right. He's he's standing upside down in the fire and brimstone with his head in the bucket of shit forever. And ever and ever and ever. Oh golly, that's pretty bloody heavy. That's what <laughs> hell is, Susan. You <laughs> learnt that, <laughs> primary school. You learnt that when you were an altar girl. I was never an altar girl. That was Irene Bolger. Oh, that's right. She actually fought to be an altar girl because she didn't think it was right that only boys could be altar boy. Fair enough, too. Fair enough. Uh, Good on you, Irene. She always was a fighter. Yep. Now, before we finish, I'm not too sure of the time, Susan, because I can't see the clock in Coburg um, unless I stretch my head out. Well, uh, don't but... don't stretch your head. Think of your rib. Think of your rib. <laughs> That's right. Uh, welcome to the Palmer Gazette, or I should call it the Craig Kelly Gazette. It was an august newspaper, once known as The Age, who now takes tainted money off Clive Palmer and Craig Kelly. It was enough to put me off my breakfast. I opened up the paper on Tuesday and there was a picture staring right at me, almost willing to bite me on the neck. It was a picture of Craig Kelly. Oh, my under God. The under the headline, the next Prime Minister of this country. Well, if Craig Kelly is the next Prime Minister of this country, I will do something like my mother and father taught me when I was a young person. I will bear my ass in Myers' window. Now, keep a record of that. I've just written it down with the date on oh. the bag, man. Well, actually, uh, if you want a record of everything we've said, uh, you can go to, what do you call those things? Um, podcast. recordings you keep? A Pod podcast. Yeah. A podcast of all the Left After Breakfast programs for the last 34 years. 3cr.org.au slash podcast. And left after breakfast, and you'll be able to hear this to your heart's content. Now, I've got to say, Susan, is it time to say 
Farewell. The clock is ticking. It's definitely time. Well, if that's the case, let's go out in the same old way. Oh, why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning from left after breakfast. Yep, cheerio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ride. See you same time, same place next week. Good on you, listener.